0: So I have uh, the privilege this morning to introduce our speaker and teacher, Charlie Copeman. I'm going to invite Charlie up to the stage. Uh, And Charlie is a dear friend of mine. We have been ministry partners for a really long time. I mean, a really long time when we think about this. And many of you know Charlie. Some of you will. uh, He's going to do a short introduction. But Charlie and I go all, I mean, almost I mean, it's probably close to 25 years because we started together um, during the 610 days. We played on the, ser- the same worship Seven, team. 10 days. Oh, 710. That's funny. We call our other service the 610 now.
1: Really? We've got one called the 514. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh,
0: I mean, it's the cool thing to do. Name your services after <laughs> after, times. after times. Yeah, 710
1: uh, back in the but day. But, yeah,
0: we, uh, I was thinking about this in the old third church building. Me and you would sit in the back corner in between the drums, and just crank our amps up, and it was so glorious.
1: It was glorious. It was
0: glorious. And so... Where are the amps? I know, where are (laughs) the amps, exactly. So I'm going to let Charlie do a little more introduction, but Charlie, thank you for being here with us Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks
1: for having me here. Um, Yeah, wow, that's cool. I'm going to try not to screw this up. My brother-in-law told me not to embarrass the family today, but... um, so I'm going to do my best, but no, really, it's, it's so good to be here. Um, that's my wife, Martha, over there. You guys probably remember here. If you're new to Third, well, my name's Charlie Coatman, like he said. And, and we, um, our family with our four kids, we have been part of Third for 18 years. And then in 2014, we were called to go to Chicago. So we moved to Chicago with a couple other families to help them start a church there. And then in 2017, God called us to Detroit, Michigan. Well, the suburbs of Detroit. But um, we are at a church there called Oak Point. And it, it's been really great for us, and, and we love it. But I got to tell you, it's always so good to come home. And this still feels like home. Our kids, I mean, they love this place. And I mean, Casey, you remember, they used to run around here and pull the fire alarm, right? But they loved this place, and they would run up and down the hall with the Schurz boys, and, and it would feel like home, and they still say that it feels like home. And so I just want to say thank you to the Third Church family for allowing us to move in here part-time when we were here at, Oak, or at uh, Third Church. Um, but that's not all the memories. I've got so many memories. I mean, I met Martha at this church. I mean, how cool is that when you get in? Yeah, she's happy about that. I'm happier. I'm happier about that. But with so many memories, I mean, I remember the intense prayer nights over in the chapel and the original works nights over in the auditorium. And it's really cool to see some of Martha's art still hanging around the room. My office was over there in the corner. I took systematic theology from Keith right across the hallway over there. And right here, so many, so many impactful messages. And I learned one of the most important teaching lessons of my life, I learned what I call how to, how to take the Fifth Amendment of preaching. You guys know it as the, the umbrella of mercy rule. <laughs> priceless. And then right back there, just like two rows in front of the soundboard, I would come in here and it would be, it would be quiet. And I'd find a young Mike Redmond sneaking a nap back there on the, on the thing. I'm just kidding. He, he napped in the back room. Um... <laughs> But so many memories, and in all seriousness, it's so good to be here. And it, I'm really honored to be here uh, delivering God's word today. And, and I just want to pray for us because I want to share with you just what I've been learning and what God's been stirring in me in hopes that it might encourage you. So let's pray together. God, we come before you, and your word has the power to transform lives. It is the power. It is the ultimate power, God, because it is you. And Lord, we pray now that you would use your word to renew us and transform us and to make us more like you. God, convict us and draw us close. We give this time to you, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, you guys have been talking about hope. First week, I got to watch these online, and the first week, Tom, he, t- he knocked it out of the park, and he talked about how there is hope even in death because of the resurrection of Christ, and that is, woo, yeah, that's an amen right there. I love that. And then the next week, Phil, he serenaded us with a little Tim McGraw, and he talked about that future hope that we had, and, and he encouraged us to live like we're dying. That's a different version. That's the guy from American Idol that nobody remembers. But today I want to talk about I want to talk about hope in the church and more specifically how we the church can be hope for the world because I believe it desperately needs it. Can anybody give me an amen? 2020 has been something else, right? I mean, global pandemic, everything's shut down. I'm just gonna remind you, you know this, but I'm just gonna rip through these because it's crazy. So we have an economic shutdown. We we have jobs and businesses that are lost and closed. We have unemployment skyrocketing. The economy's in the tank. We We have a global pandemic. We have global unrest because of racial unreconciliation. We have... A Draco going through your backyard. It's just been absolutely crazy. And I think what the world needs more now than ever is hope. They need hope. And here's the cool thing. We have it. We are it. Why? Because Jesus is building something in and through us that has the power to change lives, that has the power to bring hope where there is none, and has power to bring hope to the world. He is building his church. I want you to join me in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, if you have your Bibles. We're just gonna stick in this one little verse that gives me a lot, a lot of hope. It says, Jesus says these words, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, Jesus is the one building the church. And that's a good thing for us because it's not dependent on us. He is building his church. It's his church and that word church In the Greek is ekklesia, and for you Greek heads, it's really fun because it's actually made up of two subwords, ek, meaning out of, and kaleo, meaning called to or invited in. So when you smash those together, it makes this awesome picture of the church. We are people that have been called out of and into something new. We've been called out of and into something new. And as, as Peter writes in 1 Peter, he said, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Paul talks about this in Romans. We've been called out of bondage into freedom. We've been called out of sin into forgiveness. We've been called out of darkness into light. We've been called out of 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 alienation from God, and we've been called into relationship with God. So the church, just to be clear, is not a building. So don't ask to go to church, because you are the church. It's not a budget, it's not a project, it's a people. It's everybody that confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're the church. So turn to somebody and say, you are the church, and you're getting called out. Jesus is calling us out. So go back and look at verse 18 again. He's building his church. He's building his people as Ekklesia has called out ones. And then it says, And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's the promise. That's the hope. That's the hope in the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's the promise. And let's look at one more thing: the gates. What do gates do? The gates attack? The gates march on you. The gates fire arrows and shoot bullets at you. No. Why? Because gates are for defense. Gates fortify what's behind them. Gates are there to keep one thing out and another thing in. The gates are about defense. But the church is about offense. Jesus is building his church to be on the offensive, to storm the gates of hell, to be a weapon against what's behind the gates, which is the power of sin that leads to death. The church is meant to be on the offensive. We are meant to go. Matthew 28, go. We are meant to be a people who go. But all too often, I feel like even myself, I'm playing defense. How about you? Like I feel like sometimes the church just plays defense. We're more concerned about keeping out the bad instead of getting out the good. We're concerned about keeping out the bad instead of getting out the good. And we get into holy huddles and we get comfortable. And maybe we just think somebody else will do it. But here's the deal. No one else will do it. Jesus is building his church, and I've heard this said that his church is his plan A to reach the world, and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. You're it. For this region, you and the other churches in this community, you are it. God wants you to go. He wants you to go. The church is meant to be on offense. And of course, what is every Offense need, it needs a great play. And so I want to give you just one play that God's been working out in my life. And it's super simple. It's three words, very easy to remember. So when you forget everything else that I say today, remember these three things and it can help you go. And that's prayer, care, and share. Prayer, care, and share. And I believe if we run this play, then we can bring hope, the world as we become people of prayer, of care, and who share. So first, I want to go through these because these are our application for today. I want to quickly describe each of these. First, prayer. Now, you guys know this. You're already a people of prayer. You have a lighthouse dedicated to prayer. But I want to just say, if you are not a person of prayer right now, I want to encourage you In your personal time, become a person of prayer. It's a non-negotiable. In Matthew 6, Jesus doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. Prayer is so key to our relationship with God. It's how we commune with him. It's how we ask him for things. It's how we tell him what's on our heart. But prayer's not just for our personal growth. Prayer is one of the key ways that God deploys his church for the sake of the world. And it's called intercession. It's called intercession. And I like how the prophet Ezekiel calls it. He calls it standing in the gap. And in Ezekiel 22, this prophet, he summarizes the sins of Israel. He talks about how they've strayed and all the bad that they've done and all the things that they have sinned against God and against the land. And then God says later in the passage, he says, well, I will exile and scatter you and destroy the city And then in verse 30 and 31, God says this. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath. And I'll consume them with my anger. And I'll bring down on their heads all they've done, declares the Lord the gap. That's the danger. That's the danger that's facing Jerusalem. And God's wrath is about ready to break through, and his judgment is about ready to fall on the sinful people of Israel. And in his mercy, God searches for an intercessor, but he finds none. And it seems to me that that God is merciful enough that if somebody would have just been willing to stand up in the gap and pray, that Jerusalem might have been spared. It might have been spared. God is looking for you to do the same. He's looking you to intercede for the world. He's looking for you to find a gap and fill it. He's looking for you to find those things that you say, this is the God's way, but this is the way I see the world doing it. Well, that's the gap. And he's saying, get in the middle and ask God to bring forgiveness. Ask God to bring restoration. Ask God to bring salvation. And that's what's going on in our culture, right? We see it all over. You see gaps all over the place. And my question is, what's your first reaction? Is it to get in it and pray? Or is it to complain? I'm going to admit it. Often, I see something that I don't like that I think dishonors God and I complain, and you know what that does? It just makes me bitter, and God's taken me to the woodshed. He's taken me to the woodshed, and he's saying, Charlie, you need to be somebody that stands in the gap, and I know you, you may not like their political views. You may not like their lifestyle, but that's a gap. Stand in it. That's good. Intercede for them. That's hope. If God relents, and somehow they, they're subject to his mercy, That's hope. That's what he's calling us to do, is to get in the gap. What if our church, all of our churches said prayer and intercession is going to be our first response, the first thing we do? And Paul says this very thing in 1 Timothy 2.1. He says, I urge you first of all that requests prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. For kings and all of those in authority. Oh man, really? You mean I have to pray for those Republicans? I have to pray for those Democrats? Yes. If you see a gap, fill it. Pray. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like what they do. But do you love them enough at least to pray for God's mercy? are you looking to fill a gap? Are you looking to fill the gap? And maybe it's just your neighbor, they lost their job. Maybe it's a friend and at school, they don't really treat you well but maybe it's because their home life stinks. Would you fill the gap? Would you just start praying for them? Let's become people who our first response is to pray. So that's number one. Number two, the second, second move in the playbook. It's, it's called a work call to be people of care. Not people who care. It's not an emotional thing. It's not a feeling. I'm talking about people of care. People that roll up their sleeves and they get in the world and they do good things for people kind of care. Serving others kind of care. This is all over the New Testament, by the way. If you think it's okay just to live your life outside of what's going on in other people's lives and their suffering and their loss and their lack, you're wrong. It's all over the New Testament. The teachings are filled with commands for us, the church, to meet needs, to do good deeds. I wanted to share this one, this picture and the importance of caring for others' needs. And, and this just comes from Titus. And Titus is this, this young, up-and-coming leader in the church on Crete. And Paul establishes it with the help of Titus and the others. And he writes in the last chapter of the book of Titus, Paul gives this kind of final list. You know, like if you're a mom and you're gonna leave the house and you gotta tell your kids all the things they gotta do, brush your teeth, you know, do the dishes, put on deodorant. You know, don't burn the house down. And what's the last thing you always tell him? It's the most important thing, right? The last thing you say is like, and don't forget to lock the doors or don't forget, whatever. You always want to make sure you do the last thing because that's the one thing that you want them to remember. And here Titus does, or Paul does this to Titus and he gives this long, long list of things that he wants that church to be. This long list of things. And then he ends with this. And I find this so interesting. Because I would have thought it would have been something else. And it almost seems like it's an afterthought. But it's the last and emphasized thing. And he says, our people must learn. They must. They must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. In order to provide for the urgent needs. And then not live unproductive lives. That's just like Paul, right? To say, or oh, your life is going to be unproductive. But here's the call here. We've got to be devoted to it as the church. Are you devoted? Are you devoted to looking and seeing others' needs and filling them? It's okay. I'm not really yet either. I'm working on this. This is hard stuff. But this is the stuff of hope. This is the stuff that changes worlds. We're supposed to be devoted to doing good deeds. And that's exactly what the early church did in Rome. Anybody else like to read about the second and third and fourth century church like me? It is fascinating. And we should take note because their impact was astounding. They not only cared for their own, but they cared for others just like they cared for their own. They not only helped their families financially, they helped complete strangers. They helped pagans. They, they helped people who were idolaters and immoral. And guess what? People started taking notice and people flocked to Christianity. And then in, in 252 AD, there was this devastating plague in the city of Rome. Or excuse me, in the city of Carthage. And all the healthy and wealthy Romans, they left. Every one of them. And they left. And then the bishop, he called all the Christians together in the town center, where they'd all been persecuted, by the way. Murdered, whipped, beaten. He calls them all together. And he says this. If we're going to do what Jesus did so that his poverty might become rich, I call all to give personal and financial aid, care and comfort to all according to their need, not their faith. Their need, not their faith. When you see people out there that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, don't act like you, do you want to try to help them? Or do you want to try to tear them down? This happened in the early church, the Christians, they cared for everyone. And it changed an empire. And then a century later, Roman Emperor Julian, he tried to revive the pagan religion. Const- or, uh, Constantine made it legal in the early 300s. And then later, um, Julian, who was apostate, he was known as Julian the Apostate, he actually tried to revive the pagan religions. And he eventually, eventually on his deathbed, he acknowledged defeat. And he wrote this in a letter. While the pagan priests neglect the poor, those hated Galileans, the Christians. They devoted themselves to works of charity. And these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours as well. Wow. Ours as well. They are welcoming, they are gracious, and they welcome them into their families like they their own. In Julian's dying words, he says this: You have won, Galilean, you have won and he was the last pagan emperor of rome you want to instill hope as the church care for people be generous meet their needs and this is the church that by the way the next generations yearning for i talk to young people all the time and they want to see a church that is rolling up their sleeves and meeting people's needs, living out what they say they believe. Remember that question that Tom asked? The very first thing he put up on the slide in week one, he said, church, do you really believe what you say you believe? Well, that's what that generation is asking us. Do we really say what we believe we say? Because they want to see it in action. They want to know that this hope thing that we're calling them to is actually worth giving their life for. And then Jesus He says this, and I love this. This was one of my favorite things. He says, you need to shine your light before men. Why? So that they may see your good deeds. And then what do they do? They praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds, and then they'll praise your Father in heaven. That's exactly what happened in the Roman church, and that's exactly what can happen if you start caring for people. And it leads us to the most important thing and the most important message of hope, and that is to share. So we're at prayer, care. What's the last one? You guys got that memorized? Good. Prayer, care, and now we're gonna share. And what are we gonna share? It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the plan of salvation. It's to share the hope that we have in Christ, and it's to teach others to follow that. Matthew 18, uh, 28, excuse me, 19 through 20 says this, go into all nations and make disciples. You're gonna baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're gonna teach them to to obey all that I have commanded. That's it. That's our mission. That's what we're supposed to do. That's our purpose as a church. And I wanna encourage you, if you're already a person of prayer, if you're already a person that stands in the gap, Don't stop there. Become a person who cares, who sees needs and fills them. And if you're a person that you like to care for people, but you're you're not really sharing Jesus, can I just remind you that that's the payoff. That's the purpose. That's where the real hope lies. The real hope doesn't lie in you giving a buck. The real hope lies that when you give a buck, you soften their heart. And they might receive the love of Christ. And that's the that eternal hope. That's what the two guys talked about the previous two weeks, that eternal hope. And the only way we get to share that eternal hope is we can get close enough and get them to open their hearts to it. Prayer, care, share. The problem is, the church, we're not so good at sharing. We're just not so good at it. Two years ago, I had the, really it was a cool privilege it's kind of a last-minute thing, but I got to go to a prayer breakfast with Lee Strobel. And I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's an author. He wrote this book called The Case for, for Christ, and I think he's a pastor down in, in Texas right now. We're not really buddies, but I enjoyed our time together. And he was really frank about the issues of the church. And, and one, somebody said, hey, what's the most pressing issue of the church that you see? And he said, it's the fact that we don't evangelize. We don't, we don't share our faith with people anymore. The church is really weak. And he started throwing out these stats like only 10% of all Christians actually ever have a conversation with somebody outside the faith about Jesus. That just blew me away. And then he said it takes 87 church attenders in America just to reach one person to see them come to Christ. And all the pastors, we kind of, our heads kind of sagged and we're like, that is a bad growth plan for the church. That is a bad growth plan. And so I left that that prayer breakfast, not super excited, but really convicted. And so I went home and, and I know for me, I've not been good at it. I'm just gonna be honest. I grew up in this town and it's easy not to have to share your faith here, people. But I promise you there are people that need to hear it. There are people that need to hear it. And so I want to encourage you just with a story and a process that I went through with prayer, care, share. And maybe this is just an example of of some way that you can do it with those people in your neighborhoods or in your schools or in your businesses where you can start to share. So my neighbor, my neighbor, when when I got to, when we got to Oak Point, this was, probably about a year and a half ago, I got this little sheet and we were to write on there who we want to start praying for because we want to see these people come to Christ. And so I wrote my neighbor's name down and then I wrote my kids' names down under that and and I started praying. I just started praying and asking God to save him and save his family. And that's it. I just prayed about every day and God would you save him? Would you save his family? And then I would do it again and again. And I didn't even know him at this time. I hadn't even met him. And so then one day we're outside and, and you know, we had said hi a few times, but I'm smoking some meat, smoking some pulled pork. And he's like, man, that smells really good. And I said, I'm going to bring you some. So I brought him some pulled pork. And, guys, i got to tell you what. Go buy a smoker. It is an evangelizing machine. (laughs) Sorry, ladies. It is. So that was my thing. I'd smoke meat, and I'd bring my neighbor some smoked meat, and we'd have conversations. And I'd smoke more meat, and I'd bring my neighbor, and we'd have another conversation. And then one day, I thought they were looking for some place to send their daughters for a summer camp. And I said, our church has one. Why don't you send them? And so they did, and they came, and it was awesome, and they loved it, and I invited them to church, and nothing, not a thing. But I kept praying, and I kept going after him and caring for him, and then he would come and ask to borrow tools, and I'd ask to borrow tools, so guys, guess what? A new tool set's a great evangelization tool, yep. You gotta get a new set of tools. Well, then one day, and this is after almost a year. He comes up and says, hey, we're going to go to your church. And I was like, yes. And they came to our church. It was Christmas Eve, so of course that's the one they would come to. But they came to Christmas Eve service, and, and they really loved it. They loved it, and they said, you know what, we're going to come back. And then coronavirus happened. But here's the cool thing. They started watching online every week. And then one day he texted me and he said, hey, i got some questions for you. So I went over and we met out in the driveway, which is where we typically hang out and talk. And he said, you know, I I grew up Catholic, but I'm not practicing at all. And he started asking me questions about, you know, why our worship looked like it did, why we did this and that. And, And then I said, well, I said, have you ever read the Bible? And he's like, well, you know, the answer was no. Two days later, he texts me and he's like, Hey, if I'm going to buy a Bible, what should I get? And I told him NIV or NLT. And he started reading it. He'd ask me questions, and it was all good. And then that one day finally came 17 months. And he comes out, sorry. He comes out of his house, and he's so long in the tooth. And he's reading in Matthew, because I just told him to start in the New Testament, because the Old Testament will just confuse you. So he started in Matthew, and he gets to Matthew 5, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives this hard teaching about adultery and anger. And he looks at me, and he's like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm horrible, I'm an awful person. How can anybody live up to this? And I just said, that's the good news. You can't, I'm a pastor and I suck. I can't do it either. But guess what, there's this guy, Jesus. And it's cool because things are changing. In his house, this was awesome. Last week, I asked him how he's doing at work and he's a cop and a cop in Detroit's rough, man. And we talked for like an hour. And I said, hey, would you like to read the Bible with me and just talk about it? I didn't say Bible study or program or discipleship. I just said, you wanna read it with me and talk about it? And he's like, yeah, let's do that. And then his wife comes out and guess what? She said, "You know, I think I want to try try growing my faith," which translation means I want to check out God too. 17 months, prayer, care, share. And I can honestly say, and I'm sad to say and I'm almost embarrassed, oh. That's barely ever happened in my life. I've barely ever done that. And I've worked in the church for 20 some years. But I wanna encourage you. If I can do it, dude, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. I didn't exegete scripture. I didn't drop any Greek. I didn't do systematic theology. I was just prepared to give an answer for the hope which I have with gentleness and respect. Guys, I want to encourage you. That's the payoff. That's the money. It's one of the happiest days of my life. And I've had a lot of good ones. But that was a good one. And I'm telling you, that's what you were made for. Ephesians says that you were made to do good works in Christ. You were made for this. Church, you're the hope of the world. You're the hope of the world. So I wanna ask you, do you wanna be people of prayer, care, and who share? I'm asking. Yeah. I'm over my time, sorry. But I, I, wanna, I want us to pray, because I know for some of you, you probably don't even know where to start with who to pray for, but some of you, I know, the Holy Spirit's been working on you for a while, and you just haven't been doing it. But I want you to get together with people that you've come or come with. I know we got a social distance, but would you just take a couple minutes and just pray that God gives you a name And then if he gives you a name, would you just start standing in the gap for that person? Go ahead, just take a couple minutes and pray, and then I'll move us along. God, we ask that you would hear our prayers, Lord, that each and every person here would would have a name. And we just pray, God, that you would move in their lives. God, we stand in the gap for our, our country, where there's moral decay. We just ask, God, that you'd have mercy for our governments and our leaders. God, would you have mercy on them? Lord, would you raise up voices from you to speak to them and guide them in truth? And God, would you keep the enemy from having a hold of them? Father, you have blessed this church so abundantly With your riches and your mercy. With your presence. God you've been molding and building character in this church. And you've been leading this church God to be people who care. And I give you praise for that Lord. For the people who work at the well. For the people who serve in all sorts of ministries. God I want to give you praise for this church. But God I want to ask you to do more. You are the God of more and I pray that you would do more than we could actually ever ask or imagine. And finally, Lord, we just pray, God, that you'd make a way for us to share you, to take people on a journey, whether it takes five weeks or five years, God, Would you help us stay the course and stay on the offense so that they might know the hope that they can have in you forever? Help us to be a church all over the world, God, that rises up and answers the call to storm the gates of hell. And God, we thank you for your promise, the hope that by your power and your strength, you will do it. We give you praise, Lord. But most of all, we pray, we praise you, God, for standing in the gap for us. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. You did for us, which we could not do for ourselves, just because you love us. And God, help us to receive that and live and move and breathe out of that incredible gift. For it's in your beautiful name we pray and now we praise you, God. Amen and amen.